0: What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today's guest, we have Christopher uh, Goslin. Is that yes,
1: correct? Sir. Yes, sir. With
0: the Texas or Texan Landscape Group. Yep. What's going on, Chris? How are you?
1: I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: No, I appreciate your time. And yeah, I understand. Obviously, I know you from Goat Gang. It's kind of our mutual connection. We've talked a little bit via Facebook Messenger. And it's a pleasure to get into the Zoom call and, you know, talk about all the details about your business, yourself, and et cetera. Absolutely. Do you want to start off just telling everybody a little bit about kind of who Chris Goslin is, what kind of business you do and so on and so forth?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm one of four boys. I grew up bilingual, so my mother is is Hispanic and my dad was born and raised here in in the States. Um, So that was definitely an advantage going into the construction industry. I uh, studied construction management in school uh, a semester before graduating. I had a family member approach me about uh, buying into his business that he had briefly started in 2020 and we just rebooted it. So that summer of 21, we rebooted it. It went, went okay, went better than I ever thought, made more money than I ever have. And then I quit my job and I didn't apply for any more, you know, construction management type jobs. And I just went all in in 21. And then that following spring of 22, uh, long story short, we, were approached by a company and they hired us as business development and sales guys. And uh, shortly after I was fired within six weeks, uh, twice within a span of six weeks. And so uh, in June of 22, I started my business. And so I've been doing that ever since, completely on my own.
0: I got you, man, no, congratulations on that. What kind of were you and the family member a
1: construction business in the same landscape industry or what yeah, kind of it was, landscape? It was uh we were doing honestly we were doing everything we possibly could like there's times where we were painting stuff and then we, we were doing drywall we I remember we did a job where we repiped the house and did their mulch like it was we did not know what we were doing at all we were just chasing money um, and so I learned a lot I got to learn a lot of lessons in that short like nine months span and uh lots of failures for sure
0: no i got you man and you said you went to college is that correct yes i, I did have you always had the entrepreneurial goal is that why you went to college uh, city construction management or
1: yeah i've always had some kind of a, a an urge to do something but you know i didn't know exactly what i wanted to get into and i always like brushed construction aside and kind of looked down upon it just because it was something that was kind of pushing our heads through school. And but I kept finding myself getting back to it. So when I transferred to my local university, University of Houston, um, I didn't get admitted to the business school there. And my second choice was construction management. So I just kind of fell into my lap. And then when I was doing my internships in the management parts of it, we were just managing contractors or I was on half a billion dollar projects like and I always found myself like talking with the contractors and the subs and the field workers more than the people in the project office. And so it just kind of like naturally happened. Like I knew at that point I was going to, I said, I always tell myself, I was like, when I'm 26, 27, I'm going to be on my own. So, but it happened earlier than, than I anticipated. So.
0: Dang. That's a cool story, man. So what would you say kind of inspired you to pursue a career in the contracting industry?
1: Um, I wasn't really inspired by anything. It's just when I got approached for that, I just took the opportunity and and just went for it. You know, I um wasn't really necessarily passionate about it. I've always liked tools, and uh, and by the way, like while I was going to college, I had a I had a job as a maintenance and grounds guy um, on a so it was a school property you know, on eight acres. So like I was rebuilding decks and fixing doorknobs, cleaning up shit, and uh just dealing with all the maintenance stuff. So I've always worked with my hands and I, I did that since I was like 16, 17 years old and that's how I paid my way through college. So I've always had, I've always had some kind of like a construction handyman, like work with your hands background. Um, but I wasn't, I always, like I said, I looked down and then one year I finally kind of got more into it and applied myself. And then once I was approached to, you know, join in on a business, I was like, let's just do it and see what happens. And then, um, I would say over the last like 18 months, I've become like more passionate about it. Whereas before it, it simply was for money, honestly.
0: No, I got you. Can't get too far with just focusing on money. You got to have a bigger reason behind it. 100%. So you went to business, you mentioned with your family member. Can you talk a little bit about that dynamic? I feel like a yeah. lot of people don't, A, you know, don't feel against going with a partner and especially family members,
1: even you know more complicated. Yeah. So I'm not going to get too detailed into it, but basically uh, it, we we both just looked at things like completely differently. We're both stubborn and both like polarizing different like ideals and principles. And so um, whenever we got approached by that company to be to like to move on, I actually told him, I said, hey, you can go with them. I'll stay with the business. And he didn't want to do that. And then I I looked at it and they were going to give us a severance pay if they fired us within six months of so the way. I looked at I'm like if you know, we get to the fi- I think when we get to the f- five month mark, they're going to pick one of us and fire us. I said, I'll have my severance and I'll be able to start over again. So I, that's kind of like how I looked at it. But kind of going back to being in business with a family member, um, I would say if you're going to do that, you need to, like the most basic things had the same principles and like same goals. Like that's what everyone talks about. But you need to have the same lifestyles. And that's something that everybody overlooks. And I think that should apply with family members or friends or whoever you go in business with. Because uh, he liked to live by the seat of his pants and he liked being backed up in the corner. And I was like, no, that's not how I like operating. Like we need to be cash flowing. And he liked to spend money. And I'm like, and like he liked to see a bank account at zero. I'm like, that's that doesn't that doesn't compute with me. Some people like to operate that way. It's not my MO. And so When I went on back on my own, it was really like, I knew everything I didn't want to do. So I had, I've had a pretty much a big advantage going back in on my own.
0: I got you. So Texan landscape group, you guys have been in business for a little, a year and a half. Is that,
1: yeah, it's like, I think we're in month 18 right now.
0: Can you talk about a little bit about what kind of projects you're doing now and kind of what does the group look like? Do you have a lot of employees, trucks, trailers, or what is your I,
1: kind I of- have no W-2 employees. I had a, starting out in January, I had a ten nine assistant and I had a project manager who became a W-2. Um, he was let go back in May. And then I let my assistant go back in August and I just like completely dove into the business like way more. I was, I was being too, uh, um hands off so i was like i need to get back into the business find out where i'm losing money and where i can improve um so right now um, completely on my own i have a crew that works for me on a daily basis but i only pay one individual who is a 1099 he's completely legal and he has his own crew he has his own truck his own trailer his own insurance and so he still wears my logo he still wears everything he still represents the company but from a technical standpoint, he is a subcontractor. Uh, I like running it that way because it's clean. Um, he's happy with how it is, uh, the more efficient he is, the more money he makes and vice versa, you know? So I'm happy, that's how I run my business. Right now we do, what we've been doing a lot of is per pavers gravel. Uh, we, you know, because of the winter months, we're not doing as much planting uh, and, and, we also do pergolas and like bell guard, you know, holland stone pavers, like those kind of things. But right now, the turf and pavers and gravels is is big time here in Houston.
0: So no W two employees, zero, just you. Except,
1: Except for me. Except for me, I'm the only W two employee.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the idea behind that? Have you always been kind of did you go into the business starting out with that idea in mind, or yeah, that-
1: yeah? So when when I was in business with the family member, we tried out every possible way you could do things. We were in the field. We would hire day laborers from Home Depot. We would try to like subcontract. We we tried any possible way you think you get a job done, we tried it out and we failed like at everything. Um, like I used to have a dump trailer, I used to have an enclosed trailer. We had a hundred thousand dollars worth of tools. Like we had everything, like I tried it out and that I had stuff stolen. Like just not how I wanted to run things. It would stress me out. So, um, going in when I, once I went back on my own, I'm like, I'm getting completely out of the field. I am not going to be driving around, uh, trailers. I'm not picking guys up for lunch. I'm not dropping food off. I'm not picking up materials. So I would say probably within the first month, I would already phase out of doing any of those things, you know, starting out, like you want to like, do a quick planning job, make eleven hundred bucks. You know, like I was in the, I was on my knees doing that stuff. But I highly recommend getting out of the field right away, and that's what I did. And that was my game plan going into it because I knew I could sell, um, and I knew what, um, I knew what my landing percentage could be. And I was like, I just got to get in front of customers. That should be my only goal, you know. And then make sure, obviously make sure the jobs are done right. But that's that was really my, my mo going into it.
0: Speaking of the jobs done right, how do you go about finding the good subs? Because I feel like majority of people—that's their biggest fear—that the subcontractor, you know, is going to show up, they're sloppy, shitty work. They, yeah. you know, sometimes there's a language barrier with the homeowner.
1: How do you go about that? So, like I told you, I am bilingual, so that's an advantage. Uh, I do prefer if the guy is also bilingual. So, uh, but I, I—it took me probably seven months until I found the crew that I use every day now. And I went through several different people. What I found is that you gotta find people that work with your working style. And I am big on high communication and speed. Like those are the two biggest things. Like if I need to call you at 9.30, like I need you to pick up, you know? And some people aren't cool with that. Some people might think I'm an asshole, but like, that's just how I operate. Like things are changing in the construction industry on a minute to minute, you know, basis. So you. They need to be on call. Um, And then the speed at which they do things is and that includes communication. But the the speed at which they do their work, they don't let things drag on. Uh, So it took me a while to find guys like that. So one tip I would give to people if you're looking for contractors uh, here in Houston, we have a contractor networking page on Facebook. There is a lot of horrible people on it, but there can also be some gems in it. Um, you need to go, I, you have to go through the people that you don't like to find the ones that you do like. So you, you're going to have to work with a bunch of different people and you're going to lose money and you're going to have a lot of frustrations, but you have to do that. Otherwise, you're not going to find a good contractor right away. And if you do, you're you're just lucky, simply just lucky.
0: And do you mind sharing a little bit in regards to how you structure with the your like your work with the subcontractor, are you still, you know, buying materials directly or are they buying it? Is it per day per square foot? Or how does it go?
1: Uh so with with my concrete contracting crew, I don't use them every day. Uh they turnkey everything. So they just give me a square footage price where I say, hey, it's a 10 by 20, how much is it? They'll say three K and I'll be like, let's go. So okay. I don't I don't buy any of those materials. But with the crew that I use every day, I purchase every single piece i purchase every single piece of material and the consumables right so and they pick everything up or i have things delivered i try to get as as much as as much as i can i try to get everything delivered right i don't want my guys leaving job sites so but that's not always the case
0: i got you and how would you i know for a fact some people are listening to this and thinking the the fear of whether a homeowner finding out you're using a subcontractor, or a homeowner kind of looking at it weirdly? How do you feel about that? Have you ever had like any issues? No, I haven't had any
1: issues. But I when homeowners ask me, are these your guys? I'm like, yes, these I use these guys every single day. And I give them the names of the guys. Um, if they If they start getting more into it, I will reveal. I'm like, yes, this is actually technically a 1099 crew. This is how we do things, but they have their own insurance. We haven't had any issues. Um, uh, but I don't like go out front and tell them now when it's like the concrete crew or like if there's something that I have to subcontract, like electrical, I tell them up front, I'm like, Hey, we have a master electrician company. We do not do concrete in house, but I consider what we do in house. Cause I use the same crew every single day. So, um, like from a customer standpoint, like from their view, it's, it really is in house. Um, but yeah. I have them wear my shirts. I tell them, you need to wear my shirts. The concrete guys, I don't care. But my guys that work for me, I'm like, you work for me every day. You got to wear my shirts. And they don't mind doing it. And uh, we have signs on the site. So I don't
0: know about you, man. My subcontractors, they usually ask me for more shirts to hand out to their wives and kids. Yeah. All the time. That's always fun. And something very interesting you mentioned. You prioritize two big points communication and speed. Yeah, Can you just talk a little bit why you prioritize those two and how that came to be?
1: Yeah, I've, I work really fast. So if you text me, I text you right away. I tell my clients, like, if you call me and I don't answer, it's because I'm asleep. So I'm big on communication and that's something that contractors notoriously are really bad at. So that's something that I prioritize to my customers. So I also prioritize that to my contractors because if I'm answering if a client has a quick question and I need my contractor to answer it, I need him to answer me really quick. So I prioritize that. Also simply it's more efficient you make more money. Um, the faster, the higher the quality, you know, the more money you make. Um, and, and this does not sacrifice quality at all. We do very high quality work. Uh, and sometimes we work a little too fast and we make some mistakes. So I always make sure that it's, everything's completely done right. Um, but sometimes you know things get overlooked. But that's that's kind of the the kryptonite to being really fast.
0: Absolutely, man. Absolutely, couldn't couldn't agree with you, man. Couldn't agree with you more. Excuse me. In regards to the point of contractors are notoriously bad at communication. That is the number one thing for everybody industry in the industry. I believe if you can respond to your phone call in a timely manner, that probably puts you ahead of ninety five percent of contractors out there. Yeah. Perfect, man. And you've been in business for about a year and a half now. So you haven't been exactly, you know, in the industry for 10 years. I wouldn't say necessarily you're relying on word of mouth. Can you talk a little bit how you're getting these projects and keeping the guys? busy? It, it?
1: When I started out, it was completely with Angie's leads. The company that I was with was doing like prior to this was doing like three to four hundred K a month and 95% of it was coming from Angie's leads or Angie's list. And so a lot of people are like, oh, it's bullshit. But the truth is, like, if you want to get your revenue number up, you got to spend money on some kind of paper lead. You're not going to do a word of mouth starting out. So my first 12 months, that was, or at least my first nine months, I leaned on it very heavily. Uh, just to give you like numbers perspective, I spent probably $40,000 in my first 12 months. And I did 440K, I believe, is what I last checked, which is like, that's okay return, um, but I'm still profiting, you know, like your profits profit. I don't care how you get, but Angie sucks. Like overall, it really does suck. Like the customer service sucks. Some of the clients are horrible, uh, but it's a game, you know, and you got to learn how to play that game. So some people are really good at Thumbtack. Some people are good with Yelp and, you know, you got to figure out what works in your area. Um, but then I started to, I'm a big proponent of not, re- because that, that's kind of a bubble that could burst. Because you could get kicked off Angie's for a customer complaint. So I don't. I'm a big proponent of having multiple streams of leads. So you can have your main one where you pay a lot of money, but in what happens if that has a down month, or what happens if you get kicked out, or what happens if some some kind of policy changes and the way you're getting leads could completely just go out the window. So I'm big on having designers give you leads. So make connections with designers if you can. There's online designers, I'm not gonna name them, but I think some, you may know some of them, uh, Nikita, but uh, there's also a bunch of different paper leads. There's also companies that you can have a landing page on their website. And based off of how much you spend on ad spend, you'll rank a certain percentage based off your reviews, based off how much you spend. Uh, And then the biggest one that people overlook and I overlooked it is advertising organically on Facebook. So highly recommend having a presence on Facebook and posting in groups and doing it consistently. And then I delayed this for too long, uh, but posting on Instagram and TikTok, uh, Instagram especially gives you a lot of credibility. I use that as like my portfolio tool. I've gotten so much work from it or it's helped give people more trust by looking at it. I get a lot of people that call me, but I don't know if this is a big enough job for y'all because they looked us up on Instagram to see how big our jobs are. But I'm like, you know, it already gives you like a heightened sense, you know, they're putting you on a pedestal already based off of, you know, your your social media. So, and when they see you on the videos and then they see you in person, again, builds trust. So uh, just to kind of give you a quick little anecdote, I had a client DM me um, like on a Wednesday and then I set up an appointment for just, just why speed's important. I set up an appointment that, that afternoon, uh, they were really excited. She was already saying certain language, like when can you get this out? You know, you know, when can you start, you know, all these kinds of like, those are good signs. So I got the quote out that night, called them, reviewed it with them together. They said they liked it. They like give us a tomorrow and they confirmed it tomorrow or which was, was that Saturday, Thursday. And then it was a $55,000 drop. And she said she had been following us for like uh, two weeks or something like that, three weeks. Uh, so it's super powerful. I highly recommend that. but the one in order to get those jobs, you got to start out with the paper elite. Really. That's that's just my my opinion my view. If you want to do it the old-fashioned way, it's gonna take a long time. In my opinion. If <laughs> yeah. you
0: were starting your business over, for example, if you go back to June twenty twenty and knowing what you know now, how would you start off? Would you still do Angie's list and push yeah. it? Would you, you, you would still start with Angie's list?
1: Yes, 100%. <laughs> one of them, like Angie's list, thumbtack, but, or Angie's, it's called, it's formerly home advice called Angie's leads and there's another one called Angie's ads. They're two separate ones. So Angie's leads is a pay per lead service. Angie's ads is uh, you pay a, a, a fixed monthly fee to be exposed a certain amount. You know, I'm sure the way they do it is, is uh, unethical, but I've gotten more permanent, guys. So yeah, uh, I would definitely start out because I don't have anything. If I don't have a brand, which I didn't have, I just had a logo, you know, like there is nothing else to it. Um, If I was starting out again, one thing I didn't get around to doing was building my website and then having a Google profile. Um, I highly recommend getting a Google profile. And the reason being is because I had issues with the business address. Google is really strict about all that stuff. So those are probably two things I would want to get done right away. I didn't get those things done until like my seventh month. Uh, What else? I would post from the and I did post from the get go and I didn't have a lot to do it, but I would post myself in my Instagram from the beginning. Whereas I was I was just videoing like this, you know, not really.
0: Why do you say yourself? Like, why did you just prioritize yourself
1: specifically? Putting me in the video. So when a client, I send a client, my link to my, I send my clients, all my clients, my links to my Instagram. So they see me right away. Um, and a lot of, I get a lot of good feedback from it. i build a lot of trust that way. Whereas if they just see somebody pointing and talking, it's not so much. Highly recommend being in your videos with your face in it. And I know it's like people and I had the same thoughts that everybody has about videoing, just do it. And then, Don't even look at how you look, just worry about what you say, and then just get the, get the content out. That's all that's all you should care about.
0: Absolutely, man. That's everybody's biggest problem. They are so concerned with how they sound, look, they're so afraid of it and they just delay. and you know, a year later, you're like, wow, everyone's ahead of me. And I'm way behind. Exactly, man. No, I appreciate you making a point on that. Um, You mentioned in regards to some of your lead sources, uh, yep. where different designers, like home builders, have you have you worked with any home builders or anything? I just
1: recently did a job for a home builder, but that was my first time. Um, the, the custom home building is the route to go. The like uh, cookie cutter, like suburban homes, like I worked in that business. You do not want to be with those guys. They'll lock you into contracts and they can screw you over. So I don't recommend that. Um, but yeah, most of it's online designers. Can you share
0: a little bit how to get in the door with those because a lot yeah, of people-
1: yeah that's good that's okay so what i do is i literally added these people on instagram and i dm them or i found their emails and i would just cold email them all, you know and i would just and after cold emailing they put me in contact with an admin person that would get you on as a contractor they would review you look you up and make sure that you're legit and then they would talk to you on the phone and then interview you uh just highly recommend adding designers that are either local or global or national and just dm them And you'd be surprised how small these companies are even though they look like they're doing a lot they'll answer you pretty quickly and uh, i recommend also adding your competition like quote-unquote i don't really i'm not concerned about my competition at all um, I, I like knowing who my competition is and learning from them And also like, you never know if you're gonna be in a pinch, you may need their help, but I'll give you an example. I have, uh, there's a landscape company that lives on my street. Uh, The two owners live on my street, just happened to see this guy one day on working on a job site. I I introduced myself, this was in 21. And um, after I got fired, I contacted him, he helped me out with some things. And then just uh, two days or last week, I get a call from the owner. He's like, "Hey, man. He goes, I got this lead. We're booked out through January. You think you could fit this client in?" I'm like, "Before December." I'm like, "Absolutely." And I went to go see them. Landed it was like a twenty four thousand dollars job. We finished it on Friday. So uh, your competition can be your friend, and don't look at your comp- don't look down or on your competition, and don't fear your competition. Uh, don't feel afraid to DM them and try to talk to the owners and just introduce yourself.
0: Dang, man, that is very interesting. A lot of people, I would say, are not necessarily you know considering their competition, mortal enemies, but definitely not like good friends. That's yeah,
1: sure. I always suggest um, I I talk to like it's almost on a weekly basis. I talk to like three or four landscapers. Hey, where do you where can I get this from? And they're always willing to share. And then just p- pass that down and reciprocate. It. And I always I used to be scared to ask questions. Don't feel don't feel afraid to ask prying questions like. Revenue numbers or profit numbers, you'd be surprised how willingly these people are to share. Some of them politely say, Oh, we don't share that. But more than not, people are like, Absolutely, I'll share that with you. Like, hey, what do you charge for this? You know, like don't be afraid to ask those questions.
0: Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Speaking of kind of not necessarily profit, but the numbers, you mentioned your first 12 months in business, you guys did almost 500,000. Was it 440, if I'm correct?
1: Wait, my first 12 months? yeah you said you know, we did a million we did a million five my first month my first 12 months
0: you did a million and a half in revenue in your first year in business
1: yes my first okay it's my first seven months we did 330 and then those next five months we did like 700k something like that
0: whoa can you elaborate a little bit i feel like a lot of people either just hit the door uh
1: hit yeah. the back door I'll, tell you, I'll tell you exactly what changed things so when my first seven months, I was completely alone. I didn't talk to like other contractors. You know, when you're an owner, it's really lonely. And I was just trying to figure things out on my own. My numbers were going like this every month. I had like my third month, I did hundred K, like just to give you an example, but it was an outlier job. Um, And what I was, what was happening with the Angie's you can adjust your budget. I would get mad at it. I would slash my budget. And then when I need to work, I would increase it. And it was like this vicious cycle. And so I told myself going into January, I'm like, I'm going to stick with the budget, like a floor and I'm not going below it. And I'm not, if I get mad at it, I'm going to stick it out. Like I'm just going to keep my head above water and keep my budget the same. And my budget for marketing has just slowly gone up like this. Obviously there's some months where it's, you know, 9,000 or 8,000 or 11,000, you know, but it's never gone below $2,000, which when I first started out, I was doing like $900. the, the second biggest thing that was a big proponent that changed from my first seven months to my next five, and I have to give a shout out to Chase Gallagher. He was somebody I met in November, and he said the first two things he told me, he goes, get an assistant, and what's your daily overhead? And I never had somebody say, what's your daily overhead? I knew what, like roughly what my monthly overhead was, but when you break it down, you're not working 365 days a year. In Texas, we work 220 days a year. So when you divide your fixed income divided by 220, you actually figure out what your daily overhead is. And so I included that in each and one of my quotes. And then the third thing was pricing. I would price this very simply. It's labor, overhead, profit, labor, overhead, profit, and then materials. It's those four things. And that profit, your daily profit, you have to slide that on a scale And then that's where your mark. You know, when people start saying yes, that's your market. So it could be for you nine hundred. It could be twelve hundred for me. You know, so you got to scale it. You can't ask other people around the nation what they charge uh, per day for profit, what they're trying to make per day for profit. Um, So for me, that number's changed. Um, I got into like a rut and I started charging. I would do. I would add up those three costs that I told you: materials, labor, and overhead. And then I would multiply it by the inverse of forty percent. The problem is I was pricing myself out of a lot of jobs that way. So what I recommend to people is do that and then have your daily price. Because if you do 40% you, on a one day job, you'll you'll price yourself out. So uh, but those three things were like the biggest game changers for me and uh, just not devalue myself. And especially during the busy season, I, I didn't budge on price. And uh, yeah, those are those the three biggest things for me
0: for everybody wondering why number 220, not like out of 365, why 220? How'd you come up with that? And then, could you elaborate? Go, ahead, Go ahead. ahead. I apologize, I was just saying, could you elaborate on the 220 thing? And then can you tell everybody that's uh, in the overhead, can you kind of define overhead a little more for people listening?
1: Yeah, so the way I got to my number is, like most people, most companies work Monday through Friday. So if you were to whip out your calculator right now you do five divided by seven, that's 71% and you times that by 365 or 0.71, you come out to 260 and you're like, oh yeah, I worked. The truth is you got to account for rain days, holidays, et cetera. And so for me, when I accounted for rain days, I, I think I budgeted 10 rain days and then I budgeted, uh, it's probably like another two weeks of holidays, right? So that's how I got to that number 220. I think it's 225, actually. So that's how I got to it. Um, I tweaked it at one point. I think it was at 230. I had another mentor tell me he reviewed all my stuff. He's like, Hey, you no, know, you're actually more at 225. And so let's say that you don't have 10 rainy days, then you just make like my daily overheads, $901. So if let's say I only have two rainy days out of the year, that means I made an additional $7,200. But, but I'm charging every client as if I work 225 days. And if you work more than 225 days, you're gonna make more money. So I I if I work on a Saturday and my crew works, um, and if I were to truly be booked out 220 days out of the year that I'm making, I'm not getting charged for overhead, or at least I'm not losing the the 901. I'm actually making an additional 901, if that makes sense. And then what was the second part of the question?
0: So the second part of the question, can you talk a little bit more on the definition of overhead? Because a lot of people listening that are going to talk yeah. about, oh, I own my truck in cash. I don't pay anything for it. I shouldn't account for
1: it. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I got to give a shout out to another guy and his name is James Reed. Um, I was just doing fixed expenses. And like he said, but you also have to account for depreciation he showed me how he calculates depreciation of your assets and including that in your daily overhead. Um, but just to go over overhead in general it's all of your fixed expenses so like insurance internet everything you can think of monthly you need to know your average monthly expenses on diesel and gas you need to know what your monthly payments are on your equipment and you know my marketing budget and it's not only just fixed expenses like like or I'm sorry it's not just monthly expenses it's also one time expenses so for example i bought a $2700 plate compactor so what i do is i put that That's $2,700 divided by 220 so that I'm charging every single client. It's like $7 a day to own that piece of equipment. So uh, it's every single thing and the way that James says it, he says, would you own that if you were not in landscaping? If the answer is no, then you need to charge your client for it. Your client should be paying for everything that you shouldn't be owing if you were not in the business. So, uh, Yeah. And I can get deeper into like calculating depreciation if you want me to. Um, but that's pretty much, that's pretty much how it is. how it's broken down.
0: Was there a certain situation that kind of happened that caused you to get your numbers so straight and so down to the point, or were you from the beginning, like day one, you knew all of this overhead, your daily rates and et cetera?
1: No, I've always been kind of analytical. I like analyzing data and, being aware, like, I know, I knew, always knew my numbers week to week, month to month. Um, But I would say the, having a mentorship. So I started out with Chase Gallagher and he, I was one of his first students. He's the first one to introduce me into that. And then, uh, you know, once you start meeting people like yourself and other people in Goke, they're talking about that. So I would say that influence definitely helped me. And then having another mentor like James just kind of refined everything. Um, And then you should always be revisiting those numbers. They're always changing. So um, just being, you need to be obsessed with your data and you need to know the ins and outs of your business and you need to know your numbers. Otherwise you don't have a business. It's just like a cluster.
0: Absolutely, man, you just have a job. And when you don't know your numbers, one day you're making 20 grand, the next three weeks you average five bucks an hour.
1: Yep, (laughs) I've been there.
0: (laughs) Exactly, man. Um, in regards to your business, how do you, yeah. seems like a lot's going on. You're obviously, I would say to a certain extent, kind of hyper growth in regards to like your revenue numbers, for example, how do you stay organized and on top of your stuff?
1: Um, I use jobber for my CRM. I had, I, that's one thing like from the onset I use, like from day one, I use jobber, some people don't like it. I've, I it's, I've grew, kind of grown with it. So I started off with the smallest package. And as my needs grow, I moved to the next package and moved to the next one. And now I'm on the most expensive package. Um, it's been instrumental in my company's growth. It makes you look way more professional. If you're still sending, in my opinion, if you're still sending Google doc, uh, you know, estimates, like you're not separating yourself from the fifth year old. Now, some people have some really nice Google doc estimates or PDFs, like that's fine. But you, I think you know what I'm talking about, like the ones where like the logo is misaligned and the dates like, you know what I'm saying, like the headers messed up. Absolutely. Um, and I still download the PDF. Like Jobber has PDF versions of your quotes. And so on the bigger jobs, I will download those and send them to people. But uh, the way that Jobber, the interfacing with the customers, uh, the reporting, the tracking of numbers, uh, knowing my closing rate, I wouldn't know any of those things without Jobber. So I'm a big proponent of it. They do not pay me at all to say any of those things, I highly recommend it.
0: I got you, man. And how
1: did you, how did you get on job, right? I know there's a lot of different oh, yeah. stuff out there. We, my brother and I, or I kind of slipped, but the family member and I, when we were in business, uh, we, we networked with a guy who ran into him. He just happened to be living in our neighborhood as well. He was also a landscaper. Um, he, we had him over for lunch and then he told us, he actually told us about goat gang and we were like, nah, we think TV and that guy's a scam and all that stuff. And this was in 21. Then he told us he uses jobber. And I always remembered that. And then we used it a few months later down the road. And then I introduced it to the company that I was fired from and it was working great. And then, um, you know, I used it in my company and then I found goat gang shortly, you know, revisited it in the fall. So, you know, yep. Yeah
0: what caused your opinion to change? Not specifically, I would say about this group, but you know, a lot of people they're like, oh, why would I spend money on something like that? Do you feel differently now than you did before in regards to a hundred bucks a month, 300, whatever is yeah. worth it?
1: 100%, $99 or whatever is $97 a month is, when you're in construction business, is absolutely nothing. So uh, when you're, at least when you're starting out, that's not the case. I don't want to sound arrogant, but whenever you're making, when you're doing $30,000 in revenue a month, like you should have $97 to spend. And the reason why it's worth it, um, I don't necessarily know what pushed me over. I'm sure I was following Tigre and I saw a video and then one thing led to another. Um, the reason why it's worth it, it's simply based off the networking and it's like invaluable. And that's the only value I really get out of it. I don't, You, if you're just starting out, you can, soak up and learn a lot but really for me the value right now is simply the networking and uh that's how you're learning more is through the networking i wouldn't be the in the position or at least it would take me a little bit longer to be in the position i am now in terms of knowledge probably without that network because it's like a thousand plus people you can just pick their brains and everyone's willing to share so absolutely
0: man. absolutely and in regards to your business itself i know obviously like you said you did 1.5 your first year have you did you start with that hyper growth in mind like with the certain revenue
1: no i never had a. I never had a set goal in mind um i just i remember one time in november i like looked over and i told one of my family members i was like man i'm at a quarter million dollars i'm like this is that's pretty good you know for like five months in." and then you know when i closed out the year i was like you know 300 like 300 but i never was like I was never fixated on how much I'm doing, month I just wanted to profit. And so I would say my goal was to always just profit on jobs. Wasn't necessarily how much I was doing in revenue. And then once I started to join in and join in mentorship programs and they were becoming a little more fixated on revenue and I started to see what was possible. And I started to become more fixated as a business, but going into the business now, like I think you just need to start out and just, just go balls out for, four or five months, and then you just look up and you're like, whoa, okay. Now, like, where do I put all my energy cores? I have this money now, you know, what do I do? Um, But don't get fixated. Like, if you're only doing 10K a month, but you're profiting 4,000, like, that's that's still good money, you know, starting out, you know. Uh, But, and I know I've had months where I've made $85,000 in revenue and I've lost $3,000. So, the revenue number doesn't matter at all.
0: So could you elaborate a little bit about that? Because I feel like a lot of people that are just now getting into the industry, they're confusing that top line versus the bottom line and they've learned of the
1: bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. So basically what bottom line is, is just your expenses minus your revenue. So uh, your total expenses. So if it's not in the plus, you're not making money. And and then you're not really a business. You're just, you're just losing money. So uh, I would be more hyper-focused on, job to job, like, what am I doing and be more focused on where's all the money going to Am I estimating correctly and trying to set a, a standard of how much you want to make per day or per job. Uh, that should be your fixation whenever you're starting out. Um, and I would say like that should be a fixation by third, fourth month, but fifth, like your first few months, you need to be boots in the ground and just grinding away and just figuring things out and exposing yourself um uh i would say i made a mistake probably my six month and bit off more than i could chew on a big job um uh, but uh you got you gotta squeeze your butt cheeks and try new things like you just got to like i never did turf ever in my life and i started i just squeezed my butt cheeks and did it and in february and i haven't looked back since and that's been a big change in my business so um and you got to, you got to say it with confidence and conviction that, you know, what you're doing, you know, So what,
0: what kind of work do you like to kind of stick with? Are you taking everything under the sun or are you kind of now you're prioritizing specifically turf pavers, and concrete? You're not doing like small landscape job. You're not doing pools.
1: about what's going on there? Yeah, I don't, I don't do pools. I don't discriminate on sizes of jobs. Um, but, it's starting it's kind of organically happening and then the way i do my marketing it's really just geared towards turf and and during the summer months and spring months it's sod because turf ultimately leads to other things it's just like concrete concrete's the same way but i think turf is more so so when you do a turf job more times than not it's not the client's not just looking for turf they're going to ask you like oh can you build a pathway and you're like yeah Oh, and can you add a privacy trees along the back fence? You're like, absolutely. So it's never just ends up being turf. Or more times than not, it doesn't end up being turf. But turf is like the gateway drug to doing other things. Um, and so uh, going into next year, I'm actually, I have a DBA. I'm not, I'm not going to name what it's called, but I just have a separate DBA. Uh, and I'm going to use that as my advertising. And It's going to have the word turf in it. And I'm just going to push that and then have my turf division separate from my landscaping. So I think eventually I can see myself just getting solely into turf and probably phasing out the big landscape design projects. Um, But we'll see, you know, we'll see where that goes. Or maybe it just separates into two separate entities, you know, because as you know, like landscape design projects are not as profitable as like your if you're just a paver guy or if you're just a planting guy or like me or if you just do turf like landscape design projects uh, the margins are going to be a little thinner sometimes or if you're really fishing you can make a lot but i would say the profit margins on those and the difficulty of those is much higher than just doing one or two things
0: are you a fan of so you're a fan by the sound of it of kind of smaller not necessarily simpler but more straightforward like less less complex jobs than the crazy large ones with 150 things going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I personally like landscape design projects. Like if I, like I did a job where we did Soisha and we did aluminum pergola with a lubricant roof and we did a porcelain patio and we did a gas fire pit, and we did planting, walkways, black star. But on that job, just give you like a, a point of reference, like it was a $34,000 job and I think I made 9K. And then I did a job where it was just, sod uh you know porcelain tile and then gravel and a fence and that's four different things and there's drainage too and i made like 20k you know that's because we were super efficient with it um so like i i enjoy doing those landscape design projects and i'm capable of doing them but if i had to choose one of the other like and it was an ultimatum i would just choose to do the simpler test simply because uh the labor is going to be easier. It's easier to train people to do it. And um, there's not as many moving parts, like you said, like we have it down pat how to do our turf installs. And I know exactly how much how long things take. Um, But I would say the other thing that's been helping even with those landscape design projects, is I push certain things like I push certain pergolas, I push a certain product, and I push certain plants. I, you know, and And so really even the landscape design projects are, are very similar in themselves. So, uh, I guess as I'm talking, I would say, try to push certain things and the things that you know how to do and that you're efficient at, and even if it's seven different things, it's, it it probably really isn't that intimidating to you.
0: For whenever you started doing the larger jobs and kind of going, not even necessarily larger jobs, but newer things, how did you go about learning it? Because I feel like a big question that everybody will ask, A, how do you do it? For example, if you've never done concrete, how would you do it and learn it? And B, another biggest fear by far would be, how do I price it that I don't lose money on it?
1: Uh, I would say the way you can learn it, if you want to do it yourself, is obviously just doing it on YouTube. But the way that I learned how to do certain things was observing contractors doing it. So, you know, if I wanted to, I don't know, I personally do not know how to do concrete and I would never actually want to do, it. I have no desire to do it. It's not something that excites me. Um, but I have, I know the process to doing concrete by watching it and doing it over and over again. Um, in terms of, uh, pricing, you basically you just get the subcontractors price. You, by communicating with your competitors, you have an idea of what the market is. And then let's say the market is $12 a square foot and your contractor comes at you with nine, you got to squeeze them to eight and then maybe bump it to 13. And then that's how you make your money. Um, that is that simple. So, and then you got to analyze the no. So like, why are they saying no to you? You know, And then it, maybe it's the price, then you gotta, you gotta come down a little bit. And you guys talk to your contractor, hey, if you want a high volume of work, you know, I'm going to need you to go like half, you know, half a dollar down or a dollar. You know what I'm saying? And just that's communicating cool. up front instead of just asking for a discount for no reason. You know, uh, that's how I would start pricing. And then, you know, once you find a crew that you like working with, you start purchasing the materials in bulk or you start doing that yourself. You realize they were marketing it up and you can, you know, gain another percentage that way, you know. So that's my advice with that.
0: Absolutely, man. No, I appreciate you sharing all that information. It's very useful information for sure. Getting more info in an hour than probably two years worth of college.
1: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Speaking of college, how do you, you have a degree in construction management. Could you kind of share a little bit if you feel that it's, you know, tremendously helped your business growth? Is it kind of assisting it or is it not a factor at all?
1: Um, it's, I would say it's like slightly assisting it. Like I'm not intimidated by uh, big jobs because when I was an intern, I was, I watched homes get built from the ground up and then I was also in commercial construction as an intern and we were like on a half a billion dollar project. So like those, like a $30,000 job just doesn't intimidate me uh, because of that. I would say that exposure to all those things. Um, the the school itself the amount of time that school takes to get a degree in my opinion is a travesty and i think it's it's like a tragedy (laughs) like how much time it took me to fin. it took me personally four or five years i also took a semester off and though like what i had to do to to accomplish the degree and like what i had to neglect it it really was horrible um but I would say I wouldn't be like the person I am today without going through college. But if I had, you know, you know, I don't want to say I don't regret it, but I, and like I said, I don't think I'd become the person I am today without going through that experience. So I can't, I'm never going to say if I went back and did, I wouldn't do it again, but um, college, the way college is structured, they want to keep you there as long as you can. So you spend the most money and that in itself is, is what makes college and that's what pisses me off about college college can be done in less than four years and they do not advertise that and they do not advertise ways to save money um i was blessed to have a job while i went to college so i was able to pay it off i only took like 6k in loans out and i was able to pay it off right away but the kids like i know people that have hundreds of thousands or eighty thousand dollars in debt and it's just horrible so um if you have if you're not doing engineering or trying to do pre-law or accounting or some kind of actual trade do not go to college i don't with my degree you can go to college or when you get out of college you get a degree you get a, a job as a project engineer or a project coordinator and then work your way up the company and you can make 70 80k starting out and you get good benefits and you make your way up you could probably top out at like 200 quarter million dollars or half a million dollars just depending on the company Uh, But that takes 20 to 30 years. Or you could go try to start your own business, which is higher leverage and make that very fast if you do things right. Um, But I would say uh, ability to read plans has been helpful. And I got that from college. Um, But overall, uh, I would say lean more towards no.
0: For a Not necessarily regular, but for, I guess, a standard 18, 19 year old, that you can think about with the ability and potential to go to university, but that wants to do similar stuff that you're doing right now, wants to have your own business.
1: No, do not go to college. If you know you want to become a landscaper or get into or do your own construction, you do not need to go to college to learn that stuff. Absolutely not. If you want to get a job in construction management and that's, you know, and getting good benefits and making a good salary, Absolutely. If you want to be an estimator, you know, if you want to be a project manager, if you want to manage, you know, a whole division. Absolutely. It's a great degree. And, and I know a lot of people that have really good jobs from it. Um, but if you want to start your own business, college is never the route to go. Man, some
0: deep stuff over here, 100%. which is would you tell them just go ahead, hey, start your own business or go work under, under somebody and gain experience or
1: what's your take on that? Um, I would never tell somebody like exactly what to do. I would just share my experience and then they can kind of like go from there. But I, I, I have slightly influenced people to not do college, um, but not explicitly telling them. But I'm like, if you already have it, like let's say like you're a year into it and you're like, man, I'm making this amount of money like on the side in the summers. If you have that little inkling in you to go out on your own, go out on your own because you can always go back to college, but you'll never have your 19, 20, and 21 year energy ever again. Like that energy you have when you're that old, you'll never have it again. So, and then life will come at you. Like I'm engaged, you know, like I have a house, like that came at me really fast. And like, you know, I'm 27 now, but if you're 20, you're 19, 20 years old and you don't have a girlfriend, you don't have a wife or kids, like, those three, four, five, six years, you can get so much done and then set yourself up for your, your late 20s or early 30s. I didn't know
0: you were engaged. Congratulations, dude. Thank you. Does uh, does your fiance, is she involved in the business?
1: No. Uh, the plan is probably in two years to get her involved, but at the moment, no.
0: What's your take on that in regards to couples or like, obviously, you know, you have certain amount of experience with families, but what about a couple specifically?
1: Um, I don't have any experience with that, but I I uh, listened to Alex Ramazi and his take on um, him and his wife, Layla, basically is the amount of time that they have spent together could equate to like other people, like dozens of people's lifetimes. So he broke it down like this. you, The average person spends two hours a day with their spouse. So just do the math, you know, over a 50 year period you know, how how long are you actually spending with your spouse and truthfully, like if you're getting married to somebody, it's typically your best friend. And so why not spend more time with them? You know, and if you're going to spend, you get to spend eight hours a day with your best friend, like or 10 hours, whatever it is, like, I think that's a great thing now there's certain, it's going to vary from couple to couple, but I can definitely see it working out with us, but I would say I've been advised to make the responsibility is very explicit. It's not a partnership, you know, like it's very explicit. This is your role. This is what you do. You know,
0: like I, through our
1: marriage, you have a you own the business, but in the business, you are the, the shop caller. And then she has an explicit role or, or or he or, you know, if you're a woman and he's a man or if you're homosexual, you know, but it's you got to be very explicit about things.
0: Absolutely, man. Absolutely. We're kind of heading to our the end of the podcast itself. And one of the most important questions is with now you having your experience. You've been yep. in a business for a year and a half. You've, you know, you've been in the industry for a while. You've seen it all. You've kind of grown the business from nothing. For somebody or even yourself, you were to restart in 2024. Can you kind of talk about maybe your three or four biggest lessons or things you would do completely differently, starting over?
1: Yeah, like I told you earlier in the call, uh, set a budget for your marketing and stick 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 with it for a minimum of three months. And if you're not getting the results you want, move on to another, you know, lead source. Uh, the second thing, the second thing I would say uh, that I would apply because I, I really start off on a good foot. Um, I would say, man, like knowing your landing rates very crucial. So. Um, my landing rates like right, right under 30%. So if you just look at it, like if I get in front of a hundred people, I'm landing 30 of them, what's my average job? Can you just do the math there? Um, so I, I would say knowing your, your landing rates really important, but overall just knowing your numbers, um, man, uh, one thing that I think. We all have issues with is we have, uh, like our bank accounts go like this. Um, and I would have, I've had moments even this year where, like, I'm a little bit afraid to see it, or it gives me anxiety. Like, just to give you an example. Like, I would have my assistant Zelle people because just because I didn't want to open my bank account, even though there was a good sum of money, just for some reason, like, I didn't like seeing the ebbs and flows of it. So, I would say uh, doing like cash flowing. Like, like I have a Google Sheets where I have my cash flow, and I just watch it. I have all my credit cards, all my payments, everything, and I just watch my cash flow. And then I, sub, uh, I subtract my assets from my um, my depreciating assets. And then, or what's the other, what's the word for that? Assets and. Liabilities. Better liabilities. Exactly. And then I see that bottom line number. And if that number is going up, I'm doing good. If it's going down and then I can see where things are, you know, where the money's moving. Um, another big thing that really helped me um, with that in mind is I have credit cards. So. And Starting out, it's going to be really difficult to get credit cards, but if you can get your hand on like an Amex card, like a gold or a platinum or even the blue, it's really crucial. So what I do, the way I structure my payments now is I have my platinum cards for all my materials. My gold card is for all of my like advertising and miscellaneous stuff. And then I have a gas card. So when I look at my bank statements, it's very clean. It's just my Amex platinum, my Amex gold in my shell card. So, um, and then what that does is if money leaves your account, let's say you get charged by supplier incorrectly, I know some banks do reimburse you, but it's a lot easier with credit card companies to get your money back and it's not your money that's being spent. So that also can give you leverage and you know, when you pay your bills and when you don't, and then, you know, you can, you know, if you're having cash flow problems, and you need more work, you could put $5,000 on the Amex and crank out some more work and get more jobs, you know? So that was really a big thing for me. I haven't had that issue in particular, but I could see it becoming an issue or a solution for me in the future.
0: No, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I appreciate all the detailed response and kind of, you know, you went into depth about lots of topics and I do appreciate that, man. Hey, I appreciate your time tremendously for anybody listening. Hey, do you have any final words? And then, be A being final words of advice or kind of solution to things and B, where can they find you? Are you on social media or email text? Whatever the best cases.
1: Yeah. So like if you're in Houston, Texas, and you're a potential customer or you're a contractor, you can just call me at 832-248-8428. And then if you want to find me on social media, you go on Instagram, it's at Texan Landscape Group. Or you could find me on Facebook with the same handle and on TikTok. And if you want to follow me personally my name is chris goslin you just look me up on instagram and you can find me that way um and you said you want me to give final tips is that what you said
0: just kind of final words is there anything you want to say to people listening
1: yeah um, my motto is to be persistent and consistent and consistently persistent and just stick do the same do the same boring things over and over again and you'll you'll get rich really fast
0: hey couldn't have said it better man Consistently persistent and persistently consistent. I'm going to have to put that on the plaque on the wall. Yeah. Uh, hey, Chris, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. You know, we value all the input. You brought all the information to the table. And we'll talk to you again soon. I appreciate everybody listening in. And until the next time.